Have you heard all the buzz? Well, if you haven't, you need to. Queers in your ears is all people are listening to and something that you should be too. We'll take you on a journey every episode as we explore issues, triumphs, and hardships experienced by the LGBTQIA community. But spin it in a lighthearted, fun, and educational way with a little bit of sass. Wait, is that beer? Hi, everyone. Hello there. Welcome back. This is Gays on Tap. Indeed it is. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Don't even bring up Indeed. Speaking of Indeed, we're drinking to a great success that hopefully is happening really soon for Jamie. Yes, more details to come. But we don't have any bubbly, so today we are opening a nice bottle of Peanut Gregio. Because we're what? Dumb. Homosexual. <laughs> yes. This bottle is called Riff. I just bought it at the bodega. You guys should go check it out. I like the graphic. I give the graphic like That's- an... Six out of ten. That's how I pick my wine. Just pour it into somebody's mouth? No, I pick it by how pretty the label is. Oh. I'm like, mm, I don't know what this wine is, but I'm going to buy it because the bottle's pretty. See, but you can have really trashy wine with a good label. I know. It's not, that's kind of the fun of it. It's like a roulette game. No, it's not because I want my, I want my wine to be good. Well, I that's, guess that's, that's on you, bitch. <laughs> I guess that's also why you have like your favorite, favorite wines that you go to. Fully. I mean, I love Pinot Grigio's. I don't, I feel like, I don't know. You don't know what you love? Well, I used to be like, what's the, what's the really cheap one? Like that Barefoot does. Moscato. Moscato. Oh, because it's all sugar. Yeah, literally. And it gives me straight up, I don't know. It gives me the vomits is what it gives me. I can feel the hangover before I even go to sleep. Right. It's so true. Like, no amount of water you drink after having a box of Francia is going to, you know, cure your hangover the next day. No. The, our poor bodies... And what what we did in college or adolescence. It's so true. It's terrifying. But now that we're adults, I just want to say that Jamie and I had a very sensible confirma- a confirmation. A con- I haven't even started drinking yet. A conversation about drinking during the week. And we're only doing this because it's a professional uh, luncheon, I guess you can call it. This is a meeting for our company. A congregation. Because we're both what? Gay. I was going to say boss girl, but oh, okay. <laughs> or whatever. What are the kids saying? Girl boss. Girl boss. Fully. Okay, are we going to open the bottle? Yes. Did I tell you it wasn't a cork? Leave it in. Okay, are you ready to try it? Yes. I fully am cling cling bish. Should we? Are we sure that this is recording the way it should? He slid. My dog does that 24-7. Or we just, fuck it. Why don't we just listen to it after? Okay, cling. This one's to you. I think it's actually very good. It's not bad, but I also feel like it doesn't have that much of a flavor. Great. Well, good thing you didn't buy it. I'm still leaving it at your house, so. That's fine. It could be a good um, spritzer. True. We're homosexuals. Jamie, while we're sipping on our first glass of the night, probably only, because again, it's Monday night. And I'm I'm, I'm what? Old. I'm old too. I have things about that later. Would you like to introduce this week's Gay on Top question for our wonderful listeners out there? Absolutely. So the question on topic is, are you a Britney fan? Are you part of the Britney army? Or are you an ex-Tina fan who are called fighters for which, some reason? Which her song? I understand the one song. But I'm also like, you could have picked a better one. Yeah, like Dirty Sanchez's or something. <laughs> 
Or like ex teenies. Or Chocolate Men. Didn't she do a song called Candyman or something like that? Yeah, she did. Okay, well, we are the Candyman. Or like Gumdrops. That's too gendered. You're right. Gumdrops. We are the ex-Tina Gumdrops. Um, well, that's both hideous and I hate it. What's your answer? Honestly, I think I'm like, don't get me wrong. I stand Britney. I was all for think, yeah. the empowerment movement, but I'm definitely a Christina Aguilera fan. She's dirtier. Also, Burlesque was just fucking great. She was really good in that movie. That whole movie was delicious. Yeah. But actually, now nice. that I'm thinking about it, if you go back and rewatch it now, which I have done recently, it doesn't, it does not hold up the way it did when it came out. It doesn't? No, just I, I implore you. That's the one with Cher in it, right? Yeah, yes. fully. Go watch it again. Some of those outfits that she chose, her stylist should be okay, shot. Honey, it was 2008, though. Yeah, but she didn't have to go that bad. I, I said mean, it. I said it. How many hundreds of millions? 15. She got paid $15 million to do burlesque. I would wear a piece of shitty clothing for $15 million. I would million. show my hole on the internet for $20. Didn't you already do that yesterday? Yeah, but no one's paying. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. I can't believe that. I think I would also say Christina. There's something more interesting about her. Then again, Britney has like the depth of like pop culture stands, but. She does, but I'm also like, girl, some of the choices. I love that you're free, but like. She was mentally, she is mentally, um. Ill. Yes, I would, Jamie. I would agree. <laughs> no, I'm, Which I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> we all stand you and we all fought for your, fr- like, obviously multiple people spoke oh, up so about her freedom. You're team Jamie. Ew, no. Are you Jamie Lynn or are you no. Britney Stan? Okay. I'm a Britney Stan. Okay, well, just to get, clear the water okay. there. Getting mental health <laughs> and being in a conservatorship are two completely different things. Yeah, but I think what you're saying is either get mental health and stay off the... Or get help for your mental illness and stay off the internet altogether. No, I'm not saying that. Okay. I mean, she can do whatever she wants. Okay, It's fine. her life. I'm just saying maybe you should get mental health if you really need it. <laughs> okay, then I'm sorry that I called you Jamie Lynn Spears. Exactly. Don't associate my fucking name. She gives Jamie's a bad name, okay? She sure does. And I hate that we spell it the same way. Do you remember Zoe 101? Are we going to talk about this no. every time? It canceled. I never watched that. I hated her from the start. I was never a Jamie Lynn fan. <laughs> good for I had you. intuition. When I found out that was Britney Spears' little sister, I said, good, her show was canceled. <gasps> but we did want to go to the school there. Comment below. I know you can't comment below, but subscribe. Subscribe and comment below. Let us know if you're a Zoe 101 fan. That's all I got. But let us know your thoughts, who you. Stan and your reasons why. Fully. And we'll catch you next time. Brittany stands. Christina stands. Thanks for tuning in to Gaze on Tap. Professional. Cling. Welcome back, Austin. Another episode. I know. Can you believe it already? Yeah, because we put the motherfucking work in. Well, mostly Jamie's done everything, so. I mean, honestly. At the end of this, I'm going to throw you a, a rap party, and I'm going to get you, like, Salsaritas catered and everything. What is a Salsarita? Okay. Well, we're going to move on from that. <laughs> is that a drink? No, Salsaritas is, a like, a Hispanic restaurant. Oh, I've, I've, I'm, well, I don't get out much. Fully. I understand. Look at him. I mean. Hermit. Yeah. But we're older now, so that makes total sense. We're already off topic. <laughs> How have you been, Jamie, since last episode? Honestly, it's been a blur. I feel like I literally blinked and it was like 2012. Oh, don't say that. We did not go another 10 years. Can you believe it? Like 2012 feels like last year to me. Exactly. The pandemic fucks you up. Yeah, everyone, I keep saying comment below. Let us know. How was your pandemic? Are we out of it yet? No, we're not. We're never going to get out of it. (laughs) 
It's like perpetually cut. Like you know what lives rent free in my head? What that meme of that dog sitting in the house that's burning and just it's like, like this it's is fine. fine, and it just keeps adding and adding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Fully. that's why millennials are losing their mind and Gen Zs. We're like, uh, we hate it here, and the world is burning. It is so literally burning people. Let's wear just pasties to school. I don't go to school, but I would do that. But that's what they're doing. Have you seen Euphoria? I don't watch that show. Oh my gosh, you should. Just for the fashion alone, it's extremely inappropriate, but it's hysterical. We we stand. And the memes on the internet are golden. Everyone is attacking that one actor right now, and I just, I'm like... Which one? The really hot Australian man. Oh, that could be anyone. He's Australian. Yeah, but I don't think he... Is he Australian in the show? Nate Jacobs? Maybe show. I'm only on episode... Or season uh, one. Oh, okay. Well, I think all the people now are, like, outraged. They're, like, rioting. Love Over Twitter, that. obviously. Love that for us. That's another thing that's so scary about this day and age. Riding over Twitter? Yeah. I think it's great. This I is, love the banter. This is actually a good lead-in for mine. And here's the leap. Twitter uses a what? I think code. It takes... Actually, I was gonna say algorithm. But code was a really good... A really good guess, Jamie. However, code... Uh, algorithms, they all have something to do with my character. And I want to preface the entire show. I don't want to say character. My historical figure, which is the theme of this week's episode. Yes. And we've done it before. Go back to season one. But we're doing what? Better. It again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> better is better. Correct. I think so. So I would like to bring up a famous person. And he goes by the name of Alan Turing. Are you ready? I am ready. I what do you know? his last name was Turning. Yeah, I don't think you're the only one. Because when you go into Google and you type his name out... It looks like... There's, it. like, three misspellings of his name. It's, like, Turing, Touring, and oh, fully. Turning. Fully. You know, always Turning. Middle name Matheson. Okay? He was, I kind of like that. Love it for him. He was born in London in 1912. Though so he was old, is it? Or he would have been old as hell. In 2012, he would have been 100. Poor thing. Which is when I went into my senior year of high school. I was in um, kindergarten. <laughs> uh, we wanted to choose queer kind of figures. I, not kind of. We wanted to choose queer figures. And we've slated this episode um, pretty much since we started planning season two. And I've been excited about this because I think I, I do think of myself a little bit as a nerd. I love very technical things. Coding is very interesting to me, but it's way out of my league as a person. But essentially, he is the father of modern-day computers. And here's why. Because, and I'm going to go through his whole history, people. So this is just a little... What's the word? Amuse-bouche. <laughs> he essentially created a mathematical proof that states if you can break something down into a list of rules, which is called an algorithm, then any computer... Essentially, this uh, method of computing can solve any question. He said, this is not the gay way. Right. Doing it wrong. Let's go. It's actually a very sad gay story. So we'll try to make it as light as possible. <laughs> well, I'm sure because he was born Well, let's in not make it light. Say again? He was born in 1912. So they it was were like, hard. gay, get out. Yes. And in London, um, and I think we've talked about this before up until I think like the 60s. Yes, when we did the Polari episode. So go back and listen to when it was decriminalized to be homosexual in London. But he was not alive at that point. <laughs> Let's just say that. Like he didn't make it that far into history. Um, but to start out, who is he? He's a mathematician that's celebrated to this day because of his uh, just huge contributions to mathematics. Uh really computing in general. He helped in the World War. 
breaking code, which is very gay. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, and I really, as I was reading biographies, mostly Wikipedia, obviously, I got this very soft sense from him. And I'll get to that in a second. So, like, I feel like I know him now. <laughs> okay. Like, I'm connected to history. But that's why we're discussing queer figures, period, right? Are you Alan Turing? I am Alan Turing, yes. Not Alan Turing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the uh, Wikipedia uh, snapshot of his life. Um, like I said, he's a mathematician. Everything he did is a super genius. Um, he started out young, uh, going through school very quickly. Obviously, people saw his aptitude as a smart man. And actually, what's so interesting about him is in his young life, while he was still in school, he was he, he kind of started uh, college, or what we would consider college pretty young, like in 14, 15 kind of period of his life. Um, and essentially, there is a citation from early in his life about a romantic relationship that he had, even when he was like 15? 18 is when his... Oh, okay. But here's the tragedy. Here's where the tragedy starts. So he goes to school. He goes to this uh, private school. Um, I believe it's like a finishing school. For boys. Yes, but I think it's college to them, so it's not, like, primary. Um, And he met this man, and I have his name. His name's Christopher Colin Morcom. That's a horrible name, Morcom. But there is citations. uh, He has letters written to Morcom's mother, who this gentleman is. Okay, let me back up. So they're schoolmates, essentially. Okay. And he clearly falls in love with him. Morcom dies at a young age... Yeah, when I think, when I think Alan was 18. So there are, there's like written letters to this man. There's written letters to this man's mother about how much Alan is like very connected to him. And I will read you a quote about this relationship that breaks my heart. Um, But he died very young and that kind of affected Alan a lot. It also gave him a lot of motivation to continue his work the way I take it. Like essentially he was very motivated by having known someone so well and he stayed in contact with this man's mother and wrote letters to him all the time or her to all the time so that's like a very deep relationship but this is such a young part of his life and since he became famous so quickly in life i think they recorded they could like record that in history do you know what i mean so it's very significant it's a gay man who's cited as living in this essentially a relationship out at this time that's huge And to go back and read the history so easily is very interesting. So that happened. And he wrote to Morecambe's mother after Christopher died. Um, I'll read you his quote directly. Are you ready or do you want the tissues? Let me take a drink of alcohol first. Actually, that sounds like a great idea. Here's what he said. Oh, by the way, Christopher died from bovine tuberculosis infection. Oh, like mad cow disease? No, it's much more bacterial, it sounds like to me. <laughs> I just love how my head went straight to mad cow disease. But I love that because I do think people can get that now. Like, I heard a bo- I heard bovine and cows are you, I mean, it's true. But essentially what happens is he drank infected, this cow had bovine tuberculosis and he drank infected milk. And he oh, died. Shit. Isn't that horrible? So Alan writes to Christopher's mother um, after, that's 1930, by the way. He's about 18 years old, if I can do my math. Um which I'm not too good at, so catch me if you can. He says, I am sure I could not have found anywhere another companion so brilliant and yet so charming and unconceited. This is about Christopher, his past love interest. I regarded my interest in my work and in such things as astronomy, to which he introduced me, as something to be shared with him, and I think he felt a little the same about me. Stop. 
Are you kidding me? Can you imagine? And then he says, I know I must put as much energy, if not much as much interest, into my work as if he were alive, because that is what he would like me to do. It's very sad. It is very sad. And also kind of gorgeous in the same sense. But to also, I'm surprised he wrote to his mother. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. So he was writing to his love interest mother after he died, after his love interest died. He kept writing to her, his mother, and he wrote such wonderful things about Christopher. I think even after he died, it's just very inspiring. Maybe the reason, I, I thought it was weird, but also maybe it gives his mother some sort of, like, warm feeling in her heart to know that someone cherished her son just as much as she did. Amen. And I think that was probably true. I love that. That's very, uh, what's the word? Emotional. So, okay. So he's young and smart. All of this happens with his ex-lover. There's, I'm not, there's no like concrete evidence that they were lovers, but they were clearly in like deep correspondence with one another. Um, after he passes, after his love passes, Christopher passes, he goes on about his life. He gets a job with the, (laughs) the British code cracking government. Not joking. Um, there's like an organization that literally receives kind of enemy communication. So any, they try to intercept any communication going between, I believe, the Allies versus the Axis of Power. Is that correct? In World War II? I believe so, yes. Okay, great. This might be a little before World War II as well. But um, he literally wrote, like, he literally broke the Nazi code that was developed by a machine called Enigma which is a very famous, like, wartime machine that encrypted code. And he was the person called a cryptanalysis, which is, or cryptanalysist, um, who goes through code and tries to crack the code, essentially. And he did it. Against a machine, that is, like, you gotta be really smart to do He's that. Literally, he literally is, like, the daddy to computers. Every machine before him was, like... Obsolete now? Correct. Oh, well, beyond. Uh, and he essentially is the grandfather of binary code because oh, damn. yeah essentially his touring like theorem said that if you like i said if you can break something down into an algorithm which is and i will define it for you it's a process or set of rules to be followed in calculations or other problem solving operations especially by a computer so this is where alan turing becomes very famous okay very well known that's because he was cracking code for uh the english during Nazi Germany's regime. Um, and he pretty much helped us get out of the war, essentially. Yeah. And this bitch helped us get out of Germany. Or rather, get Germany out of us. Do you care to comment? <laughs> you mean it stop Germany from getting any yeah, further no, when into I'm... someone else's hole? Exactly correct. I'm so sorry for even interrupting that. Right! So he did this pretty well into his life. So you're thinking 18, he kind of leaves college, goes into finishing school and helps with the war effort after that. So that's leading up to the 40s. So we're actually 30 years on in his life at this point when he's helping in the war. Um, There's not a lot of information about how gay this man was at this time, but clearly he was homosexual. And then leading up to the end of his life, which was in 1954. So that's only 44 years right there uh, of life total. Sorry, bud. But um, he moved... Okay, I'm actually going to top... We're going to stop with the highlight. So I'm going to do the depressing stuff now. Okay. 
I'm prepared. Okay, great. I put on my veil. I wanted you to know, just so we were on the same page, but he did die from assumed suicide by cyanide poisoning. Before he died, I'm sorry, everybody, I'm going backwards. How dare you? He um, was in, he was proposed to be married to a woman. <laughs> and her name, her name is Joan Clark. He used to work with her. And they were proposed to be married, like I said. Okay, so in 1941, which you can do the math from there, that's like less than 30 years, he meets this woman named Joan Clark at a place that he works for under the government. And they get proposed. They are engaged. They become not betrothed, but close to it, until Alan himself admits to his wife, or excuse me, his fiance Joan Clark, he admits his own homosexuality, is what Wikipedia says. Interesting. So he, like, yes... Or he proposes to a woman. I'm sure he proposed to her. And then he was just like, I can't go through with this. I'm setting the scene for you. I can't go through with this. Because what? I'm homosexual. He just tells the woman that he proposed to that he's homosexual. And this is 1941. And they broke off the engagement? Yeah, they did. A hundred percent. This is what Wikipedia says. After admitting his homosexuality to his fiance, who was reported unfazed by this revelation. Which is my favorite thing ever. If she was unfazed, though, then why did they end the engagement? No, they she's could've... unfazed by the revelation that he is a homosexual. Oh, okay, okay. So she was like, oh, yeah, I fucking knew. I had a friend like this in fourth grade that was like, I will marry you if you ever. I was like, love that for you. Uh, and he just decided he could go through with the marriage, which is funny as hell to me. But also good for him because sticking to true who you are. I mean, he did have the courage to do that, which I think I'm is gay. interesting. Suck right. My dick. But, or dude. don't suck my dick because you're a woman. <laughs> So in 19... 19- oh, no, to his co-workers, definitely. Oh, 100%. Not to his wife. He was cruising the bathroom. He was like, you have literally woman cooties? Get away from me. And we hate the woman cooties. Blech. They are gross. They smell funny. Why y'all smell like that? I'm just kidding. In January 1952, Turing was 39 when he started a relationship with Arnold Murray. It's just Murray, actually. Who was a 19-year-old unemployed man is how Wikipedia cites it, which I'm like, okay, I get that. Because I was kind of in a situation like that myself. Just before Christmas, Turing was walking along Manchester's Oxford Road when he met Murray just outside the Regal Cinema. I love how uh, detailed Wikipedia is about this. And essentially, um, he was robbed. And Turing 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 was robbed, robbed, but not by Arnold Murray. When the police were questioning him about the actual burglary, I believe it was... He was, like, uh, very explicit to the police who Arnold was. Actually, Arnold may have robbed him, now that I'm thinking about it. Mm. He was like, he robbed me, but he kind of cued, so I'm going to drop the charges. I think that's kind of the the situation. But the police jailed him for gross indecency, which was being gay. And cruising. Because he... No! (laughs) He wasn't cruising, he was computing, okay? but Computing how to get that dick, honey. Zero, zero, one, one, zero, zero, one... Zero one. Down arrow. Don't forget a down uh, arrow. Yes, 100%. He did that. But he was literally sentenced to, like, prison time for homosexuality. And he was given the option of probation, which he took. And guess what the uh, the regulations for that were? House arrest. Community labor. Worse. Chemical castration by injection of testosterone hormones. Or estrogen hormones. Can you believe that? That happened to him. He elected for that. Because they probably... Well, he pled guilty and elected for the probation. Honestly, if it was me, I may have just gone to jail and get, got booty raped. Yeah, at least... I mean, I don't know what it is. Like, why do we want our testicles so badly? Is this what our show is now? But anyway, um... That happened. It's horrible that that happened to him. There's, like, a lot of other details that I don't want to share because we don't have the time to do it. But 
Also, I don't want to share them because they're just bad. They're, like, horrible. And then it's so sad, all the things that happened to him. I mean, it is kind of tragic what happens to gay men. And this is even more and tragic. the LGBTQ plus community. You know what I'm doing? I'm making tragedy fun. <laughs> Which is a joke. But his body was found by his landlady, I think. Or no, it was his housekeeper. I was like, oh, she fancy. But found dead with an apple next to him. And he was literally cited for having cyanide poisoning accidental or suicidal and there was no like there was no kind of chemical testing that could be done on evidence at when they found his body because they think that the, the apple was like laced in cyanide so literally someone said he's the fairest in the land okay but hold on he should die. this is the gag of the century oh sorry I was so obsessed reading all of this um wikipedia whoever wrote alan turing's wikipedia page Please get a writing degree. He died on June 8th, which is almost midsummer, 1954, at his house in Wilmslow. He stayed in London, in England, most of his life. Um, he died the day before, when he so they could tell he was been, been dead a day. Cyanide poisoning was established as the cause of death. Are you ready? Are you the fairest? I'm not done yet. Are you the fairest of the land? Yeah. Um, I'm Snow White, bitch. When his body was discovered, an apple lay half-eaten beside his bed. And although, and although the apple was not tested for cyanide, it was speculated that this was the means by which Turing had consumed a fatal dose of cyanide. An inquest determined that he had committed suicide. Andrew Hodges and another biographer, both biographers, David Leavitt, which is a funny last name, have both speculated that Turing was reenacting a scene from the Walt Disney film Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, his favorite fairy tale. Both men noted that he took an especially keen pleasure in the scene where the wicked queen immerses the apple in the poisonous brew. Is that not theater? If you actually killed yourself, Jamie is stunned, by the way. I'm describing it to the audience. Jamie was just like blank-eyed. I just don't believe it. Like, how is... To me, how is that good police work? Also, you didn't know this man. So how did you know that he had a fancy to Snow White? But there are two biographers saying that. That's the biographer saying that. That he had a known... Infatuation with Snow White. Fully. Okay, well, I misled myself. Was reenacting a scene. His favorite fairy tale is actually all it says. But also... How do we know? And how do you deduce... You know what? Jamie's right. <laughs> like, how do you deduce that an apple was laced in cyanide? He could have choked. Like, did you not check in his throat? Like, what happened? Like, exactly. I'm... So, this was a very fun... I, I could do this all day. But is that not just everything to you? I mean, they literally queer-coded him. As the bad guy. They fully did. As but like, he was the bad guy. As like... No, he wasn't. Because he was gay. Well, true. <laughs> well, actually, later in death, after he passed, um, there have been many modern movements to exonerate him. So I think Queen Elizabeth II came out and, like, exonerated him and said that, like, none of the crimes that he were was accused of, those don't stand still. And, you know, he, he's expunged of all his, you know past life and i think there's a a prime minister who also came out that said the way he was treated which he's referring to the chemical castration was deplorable and inhumane correct so that's alan turin and i think he's super fabulous i'm i'm sad at how how he was treated (laughs) but sad that he also died so young because for someone who contributed so much in such a short amount of time like, think about what he could have done with the rest of his life. Yeah. There was a, a fact that said that he read one of Einstein's theorems and, like, proved it, right? Just by, like, reading it off paper. 
I'm, that's insane. He was super smart. And I also don't think that his boyfriend... Christopher. <laughs> Christopher would have wanted him to kill himself. No, I don't know. That is sketchy. I don't like it. I don't like it either. I think he died when he was 51. Oh, I said 52. Nope, I didn't say 52. I said 42. Wow, that's horrible. Math is hard. <laughs> speaking of math being hard. Well, speaking of math. Okay. I'm going to take you back a couple hundred years or so. Subtract some time off the clock. Exactly, because we're young. We're beautiful. We're rich. We're gorgeous. Gorgeous, gorgeous gays. We should just be wiki gays. Like, we just read Wikipedia articles about things and explain it to people. Improve how it's wrong. Fully. I love that for us. So I'm going to take you back to the 1600s and the 1700s. I'm excited for this. And I'm going to talk about Queen Anne. Mm -hmm. And I'm super excited. So it was Queen Anne of Great Britain. She was born February 6th, 1665 in London. So Wait, same Was area. she before or after Queen Elizabeth? Or is this not that kind of class? This is not that kind of okay, class. Okay, that's fair. That's completely fair. Because I don't think I could answer the same question. She was born to the Duke of York, who was also known as James II and Anne Hyde. She was one of eight children. Oh my god. And only her and her sister Mary made it to adulthood. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, that's tragic. But that's the Middle Ages for you, baby. It is. So she was raised as an Anglican, mm-hmm. and an Anglican is someone who follows the Western Christian tradition. They're also known as Episcopalians, Ugh. and they're the third largest Christian community in the world. That's insane. Um, they base their Christian faith on the Bible, traditions of the apostolic... Oh my god. I don't even know. Apostolic. Traditions of the apostolic church, the apostolic succession, and the writings of the church fathers, who are ancient influential theologians and writers who established the intellectual and doctrine foundations of Christianity. I don't I want to speak with them then. I want to I want to know what the hell they were thinking literally. I want to say what the fuck is up Kyle? What the fuck is up? yes, literally just like point the bible. I want to pause. There are some tangents we need to go on. Yes. Have you seen the meme online where you have to explain something from modern days to like a Victorian child in hell? No. Yeah, so it's like, explain to Bartholomew from 1600, you're in hell, by the way. Explain to him this tweet, and it's like a tweet from Kylie Jenner that says, my pussy lips so juicy like jelly beans or something. And they're like, you can't even begin to describe this to a child from 1600. Oh, I could do that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, okay, love that for her. So later in life, she got married to Prince George of Denmark, mm-hmm. who was alive um, between 1684 and 170... Sorry, that's when they were married. So they were married mm-hmm. from 1684 to 1708. Unfortunately, he died. Does it say... Do you know why? Probably just, like, he stubbed his toe. No, he had, like, some health problems. He fell ill. Basically, how she came to power was... She was successor... Um, sorry. She was the successor to George the First, mm-hmm. which was her second cousin in the House of <sighs> Hanover. Um... She was born during the reign of Charles II, and then her rise was a result of her sister Mary and her husband William, who did not have children. William and Mary. Yeah, so it went from George to Mary and William to her. Um, So during her time married to Prince... Ah, (laughs) boo-boo. Prince George... (laughs) 
Um, she was pregnant 17 times. Oh my gosh. She had five stillborn children. Aww. She had seven miscarriages and she had three daughters. Um, the oldest daughter, Mary, only lived till two. Oh. Um, she died of smallpox, unfortunately. English horror story. And um, she had two sons and the oldest son, Prince William, died at 11 due to an unclear cause. Mysterious, yes. (laughs) Very spooky. So, she's been going through it. Yes, Anne was actually very progressive during her time. So she was known by modern historians as kind of two different things. So there were two different theories about how Anne lived her life. She was either fat, constantly pregnant, (laughs) and under the influence of favorites and lacking political astuteness or interest. Wow. Don't be too brutal coming out the the gate. This is like verbatim from a website. Can they give her a little bit of... (laughs) um, Her lack of interest may derive from sexist prejudices against women. So her reign consisted of an increase in the influence of ministers and a decrease in the use of the crown, which I found very interesting. I mean... Yes. Um, she actually attended more cabinet meetings than any other predecessors and successors. And she ushered in an age of artistic, literary, scientific, economic, and political advancement. So those are kind of like the two different like schools of thought of Anne. Either she was so very exactly progressive or opposite. she didn't do anything. Yes. And so the reason why she was labeled like in an unfavorable light was actually due to to one of her ladies in waiting, who was her finger bang lady, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, pretty much, who was believed to be one of her sexual partners. Was this a long time thing? Yes. So let me divulge a little further. Lesbians, comment below. So, so basically, at one time, Anne was involved with one woman. And then another woman was brought in. So mm-hmm. there was almost like a love triangle and a rivalry that kind of was born. So the first lady was the Duchess of Marlborough. Her name was Sarah Churchill. She was born Ugh. June 5th, 1660. So five years apart from Queen Anne. Okay. And she died October 18th, 1744. Damn. So she lived a pretty good life. That is a long life. So I can't do math, but... She was an English courtier who rose to be one of the most influential women of her time through a close connection with Queen Anne. She grew up with Anne in her childhood. They had pet names for each other. Oh. One was Mrs. Freeman, who was Sarah, and one was Mrs. Morley, who was Anne. And they said this because it was a way to equalize their relationship because Queen Anne always had a superior place over Sarah. I love that. Because there's kind of like a power dynamic there. Yeah. But I have a question. Was yes. there a movie about this relationship made? Yes, it was. Oh, I can't wait. Well, so, I don't want to spoil anything. The movie was I've called The it. Great. Oh, it's The Favorite. The Favorite, yes. Sorry. <laughs> I do love that show, too. I also watched that movie and completely loved it. Um, it, I think I was there, I saw it in theaters, and the row in front of us was, like, two parents, and they're clearly teenage son going to go see okay, it. Okay, well, that was not perfect. And they're just, like, absolutely going at it. Yes. Just, like, all the time. Yes. And so, there's rabbits for some reason. <laughs> So the um, the favorite was an artistic interpretation based off of what has happened in history. And there's a lot of documentation about this relationship in history. There is. and Harkening back to the Alan Turing part. And they can actually see this by, they consistently wrote letters to each other no matter where they were. Whether mm-hmm. they were like 
together or someone visit visiting somebody or off doing other duties. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1692, Anne wrote, I had rather live in a cottage with you than reign empress of the world without you. Oh, I kind of want that tattooed on my body. That's gorgeous. It's so sweet. It and she really also sweet. wrote, I long to be with you again. And it's in, um, importable for you ever to believe how much I love you, except you saw my heart. They are so great for each other. I love that for them. So no, there wasn't any like documentation of obviously like them finger banging each other or like being. There's intimate. no lithographs of two people <laughs> getting finger banged. But sorry for saying finger bang so much. <laughs> from their letters, it's clear that they had more of a deep connection with each other more than just a friendship, which is very cute. Yes, scandalous also. So, although there's no historical evidence, she did have a a rivalry between two women that were vying for her attention. Mm -hmm. And rumors started to circulate about the dark deeds that were happening in the bedchamber. (laughs) Okay, I am sorry. And thank you for bringing up the favorite. Have thou listened at the doorway? (laughs) But so the favorite is a glimpse into these rumored dark deeds that were happening. Rachel Weiss is like the most gorgeous woman alive. And I have to say Emma Stone did a very good job. Oh my gosh, she did perfect. Was it Emma Stone? Yes. Oh my gosh. So, rumors of a secret physical intimate relationship permeated throughout Anne's reign and that her relationship with female confidence was unnatural. It's unnatural. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you can stay. Yes. It's dark side. When Anne got married in 1983, she appointed Sarah to Lady of the Bedchamber. As she progressed in life, um, Sarah was actually appointed to Privy of the Purse, I think they called it. So she was like the treasurer. And this is like a country position. This yes. is not like a, just you live at the house position. No, this it, was is a, like it was a very high role treasurer, and a woman had sure. never held that position. And this was Miss Morley. Or no, this was Miss Freeman. Freeman. Love that. Okay, I'm tracking. So the reason why a lot of people thought Anne was just this fat pregnant lady who didn't do anything was... Sarah and Anne's relationship started to sour over time. So in her memoir, Sarah denounced Anne quite regularly. Through these um, disparagements, many thought that Anne was weak and uh, uh, irresolute as a woman. Sarah wrote once, She certainly meant well and was not a fool, but nobody could maintain that she was wise nor entertaining in conversation. She was ignorant in everything but what parsons had taught her when she was a child being very ignorant very fearful with very little judgment it is easy to be seen she might mean well being surrounded with so many artful people (laughs) who at last compassed their designs to her dishonor she read her to filth and so as they got older their physical relationship kind of started to disperse and these reflections could have been a result as their disagreements on politics, court, and church appointments. One of these was when Sarah insisted that her son-in-law, Charles Spencer, be admitted to the Privy Council. And the Privy Council was a former body of advisors to the Sovereign of the United Kingdom. And Anne refused to appoint him. So obviously Sarah was like, fuck you. Oh my god. But The drama. I wanted to actually get more into the downfall of Sarah Sarah had a frank and indifferent personality that could be seen as very abrasive. So she was ye old beesh. So people did not like her. Right. Bitch with an E at the end. And so Anne actually admired her when they were younger. However, as they aged, it became increasingly intrusive. So Anne's affection started to with 
draw due to a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Sarah's long absences at court, their political differences, Anne was a Tory who was a part of the church party and they favored religion. And Sarah was a Whig, which I just love. Wig. She was a Whig. Wig. And they were more progressive. Wig queen. <laughs> Get it? So another point of contention was mm-hmm. Anne's husband died. Um, Sarah pressed Anne to move away from her husband in Kensington back to London and scolded her for grieving her husband, which I'm like, what the fuck? Right. She spent so much time with this man, obviously loved him. But she was in love with Anne. Of course she was. No, that's, Anne was in love with Sarah. Whatever. But still, she's companion with this man for a long time, bore five of his children. Like, how are you not going to grieve over him? You know? It's true though, right. And did she wear black after this? Is yes. that her? Yeah. It's not Queen Victoria. So Anne became offended by Sarah's actions in that regard. And then flash forward. Mm -hmm. So this girl named Abigail Masham. So a little bit about Abigail was Abigail was Sarah's cousin and rival. Sarah gave employment to her within her own household. So that's why she was very Mm -hmm. close to Anne. And in 1704, Abigail actually became Lady of the Bedchamber to Queen Anne. Yes. And Abigail was the complete opposite of Sarah and often her personality and views complemented that of Queen Anne. So, basically, mm. as time progressed, Sarah fell out of favor with Queen Anne, and she became very close with Abigail. The favorite. Yes. And that's why a lot of people saw that kind of her affections towards Sarah were then gravitated towards Abigail. Mm-hmm. And actually, Anne was the one who cut off all ties to Sarah, and Sarah was dismissed from court due to her actions behind Anne's back. So I kind of wanted to bring up Queen Anne because I thought it was very interesting of her relationships with those people in her cabinet members and kind of highlight that even though she was doing her duties to her country, Mm -hmm. she kind of was trying to find a way to be true to herself and be true to the fact that she was either a lesbian or she was bisexual. At least bisexual. I like to say that everyone's at least bisexual. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I love the fact that this is such a touch-upon topic in history. And it's becoming mainstream. Gay is mainstream. Yes. I know it was a lot of information, um, but I definitely tried to consolidate it in a way... You did a great job. ...that was like, here's the brief highlights. But I definitely think that our listen- our listeners should kind of read up on Queen Anne and her relationship with Sarah. And go watch the movie and... The Favorite. Yes. I highly recommend it. And you know what I realized? Both of our topics today, both Queen Anne and Alan Turing, have movies about them. They do. The The Favorite was a very good movie, and I think it will give a lot of people more insight onto Queen Anne's story. And Plus it's kind of funny. I mean, the acting, though, was just... Olivia Coleman, I would literally... So good. I would lick her knees. I don't know what. If she told me to do it, I'd be like, yes, ma'am. She is so perfect in everything she's done. And it also highlights more of the pettiness that these girls had towards each other. Because literally, Queen Anne is making all these rules about, like, their rank in society. And that's literally her. And then she uses them against her... No, she uses them against, like, better judgment, essentially. Yeah. Abigail starts to use it against Sarah. Volley. I love that. Well, I have one more thing to share with you. Okay. There is such thing as a Queen Anne pocket melon, which is like a cucumber relative. And the only, it's only grown for perfume because women in this time were so stanky that they had to carry around stanky melons. And they call it the Queen Anne melon because rumor has it is that she carried them around in a purse with her. I mean, you got to smell good at all times, especially when you're trying to impress your husband and your two ladies in waiting. (laughs) 
I know that's right. <laughs> I love it. Hey, Queerwigs. Jamie here. Thanks for listening to our latest episode. Now that you've heard our voices, we want to hear yours. So leave a review and rating on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite streaming platform. And go follow us at Queers in Your Ears on Instagram. Goodbye, Queerwigs.